Hi, welcome back to Tell Me About Your Job, the show where we learn the ins and outs of different professions straight from the professionals themselves. If you've ever wondered what different jobs are actually like, then you're in great company. Whether you're looking for a career change or just figuring out a college major, then this is the show for you. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Josh Nasser. Today I'm joined by Becky Piazza, who is an occupational therapy academic fieldwork coordinator at the University of St. Augustine. Becky, how are you doing today? I'm great, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Tell me about your job, Becky. So I love my job and I love being an occupational therapist. It's an extremely broad profession. So there are so many avenues and areas for occupational therapy practitioners to work in. But the bread and butter of it is it's a health profession that focuses and works on optimizing occupational performance or occupational engagement in the things that people need to do, want to do, and have to do. And what can be better than optimizing an individual's ability to engage with their world and engage with others? So love it, love it, love it. Right now, my job is working with occupational therapy graduate students and aligning their academic curriculum with clinical experiences with other OTs all around the nation. So very fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I definitely hear your passion for your work coming through. So that's exciting to hear. How long have you been in this profession and how did you kind of get started down this road? Yeah, so I'm a, I've been an occupational therapist for 18 years. I'm a Gator grad, so go Gators go for Gators. the University of Florida. But um, I kind of fell into occupational therapy, to be honest, Josh. I was one of those undergraduates who was a liberal arts and science major <laughs> for as long as possible because I had so many interests. I thought I wanted to be a math major. I actually thought I wanted to be a calculus teacher because I loved that in okay. high school. I loved like there's only one right answer. Oh, yeah. So I ended up in healthcare where there's a lot of gray areas. But um, I had interest in education. I had interest in nursing. I had interest in social sciences. Um, I took all kinds of career path surveys to kind of narrow my interests a bit. And those funneled into like being a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. Physical therapy came up on that. And I was really into sports. So I had like exercise and sports and things like that come up as well. But it was while I was doing my undergraduate work, um, I became aware of occupational therapy through a sociology class of all things. Okay. And occupational therapy has its roots in anthropology and sociology and education. So I found occupational therapy by kind of checking things off the list that I thought I was interested, but wasn't really filling my soul or getting me really excited. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to an academic advisor one day on the University of Florida campus and she looked at my transcripts and talked to me about my interest and she said have you considered occupational therapy and so I started to do some digging and realized oh my gosh this is the best of both worlds I'd considered social work I'd considered education I'd considered teaching and nursing and in occupational therapy all of those things align and there's a lot of synergy in all of those so yeah that's that's how I found it after declaring my major as five or six other things prior to <laughs> OT. <laughs> that's so awesome. Um, that's a great story. And it, it kind of highlights the whole reason for this show is, you know, people like you who are struggling to find what they want to do and, mm -hmm. and maybe don't even know what the options are out there. So that's awesome to hear. Right. 
I truly was struggling and didn't know the options and was very frustrated that everyone around me seemed to know what they wanted mm -hmm. to do. Like everyone was like, yeah, I'm pre-med or I'm pre-engineering. I'm like, ah, what do you do if you're not either of those? So <laughs> very thankful for, for the guidance I received. Yeah, definitely. So as we're kind of talking about education specifically, what education do you need to actually become an OT? Yeah, so now occupational therapy is what's called an entry-level master's program. And there are many entry-level doctorate programs, a clinical doctorate. So back in the day, you could uh, receive a bachelor's in occupational therapy and, and work, but that's not the case anymore. So it's entry-level master's degree for an occupational therapy practitioner. There are bachelor degree programs for occupational therapy assistants. Um, so the curriculum, the initial course, work students can really complete their undergraduate degree in anything that mm -hmm. interests them and then apply to the occupational therapy graduate programs. A lot of the occupational therapy students who apply have backgrounds in exercise and sports science, psychology, sociology. Um, I just interviewed a student last week who her undergraduate degree is in interior design and she said, would this even be appropriate? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> occupational therapists do all sorts of work on construction, building design, universal design, for individuals uh, with disabilities. And so really you can have that undergraduate degree in anything um, as long as you have those basic sciences. Cool. That's awesome. And I, I love how you can, you know, tie those majors into different aspects of the OT profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything, everything applies. Everything. Yeah. I haven't had a student whose undergraduate degree was in marine biology. And oh, wow. he said, how would this work? And I said, oh my gosh, animal assistant therapy, aquatic therapy. <sighs> yes, it works. So, and then the nuances of biology, of course. So it all, it all applies. That's so awesome. So getting into the nitty gritty, what does an average day actually look like for an occupational therapist? And based on what you're saying now, it looks like it could look a bunch of different ways. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Josh, for recognizing that too. So occupational therapy is an extremely broad profession. So it's going to look quite different based on the, the diagnostic categories you work with, based on the clients and population. So um, my background is in adult inpatient rehabilitation, working mm -hmm. with individuals after stroke, brain injury, spinal cord injury, things like that. So in that setting, your day is full. Your eight-hour day is treated patients about seven and a half hours of that eight hour day wow. and eight hour day is kind of a joke because it's more <laughs> of a nine hour plus day yeah. because you're working with people in need you're working with people in a, in a crisis so it's not always a very clean cut day because of course there's things you have to do as an occupational therapist that any healthcare practitioner has to do paperwork documentation policies and procedures but the nitty-gritty is you are hands-on working with individuals in need, individuals mm -hmm. who need help to regain or resume or, or retain their individual independence and abilities to do the basic activities of daily living, dressing, grooming, bathing. In occupational therapy, we call it occupations, everyday activities, and those occupations are different for different people. So, um, you know, a young adult who's in graduate school who suffers a concussion or a brain injury, their main occupations are as a student in graduate school, their occupations of driving, um, occupations of living alone. So 
I would address certain things for that individual that would be very different than if I'm working with a three-year-old in early intervention mm -hmm. whose main occupation is play, whose main occupation is social interactions and, yeah. and learning the nuances of interacting with others. Um, so individuals who work in an outpatient, um, outpatient pediatric cl clinic, they're going to be working hands-on with patients all day long, as well as caregivers, family members interacting. And then you might have an occupation therapist working in a community setting where it's not a medical model setting. So those settings are going to be a lot of more of group activities, working with multiple clients at a time, social groups, uh, basic activities of daily living, as well as something called IADLs or instrumental activities of daily living. And those are the more complex occupations that start with, you know, home care management or cooking, um, money management, medication management, all the way up into taking care of your home, taking care of your job, finances, returning to drive. Mm -hmm. all that good stuff. So the short answer, Josh, is your day is busy. It is a very <laughs> busy day of interacting with people. You do not work in isolation. You do not work in a silo. Yeah. Wow. That is a lot to take in, but really <laughs> great information. So Becky, I know you're not hands-on in OT right now, but looking back to when you were, and this can apply to your current job now, what's your favorite thing about doing what you do? My favorite thing always and will be being invited into someone's life, being invited into the intimate everyday nuances of an individual's life. Mm -hmm. um, and that really applies now even for me working with students, but especially working with patients or clients as we call them in occupational therapy is people are in a vulnerable state. Most people don't sign up to go to the hospital or have a life altering injury or, or, mm -hmm. or the nuances of managing a chronic condition. And people go through different stages of grieving their, their losses, um, of adjusting to new roles and new ways of looking at life, mm -hmm. new ways and understanding who they are, what their purpose is, do they have a purpose post-injury. Mm -hmm. So being at a place where you're invited in, not, not everyone invites you in quite as quickly, yeah. but working as an occupational therapist on these intimate nuances of basic everyday living activities where it's a very humbling experience for our clients who are used to being independent. And my favorite part is, is helping individuals realize life isn't over. It, it might be different, um, but it can be just as good, if not better. And I'm someone they can trust to help them make their next connections, you know, like, okay, we're going to start with something really basic, like just getting out of bed and, and helping you get into a different position all the way up to, hey, I have these amazing resources that you can utilize when you head back to work. And here are some accommodations we can talk through to get you to be your best. It's really amazing to equip people with the tools and resources they need to, to really thrive. So that's the best part. Yeah, that sounds so awesome. So let's flip that around. What's the hardest part about being an OT? Compassion fatigue. <laughs> 
you, okay. you know, you give and give and give, and that's that's not just compassion for your your clients and in their caregivers, but also for your teammates, the other yeah. disciplines you work with. You know, there, you give of yourself from the moment you arrive until way after you leave, and I think with experience you learn healthy boundaries. But as all healthcare professionals you're doing this line of work because you care about people mm-hmm. and you can't just in one moment decide not to care with a big heart, you know? So the, I think compassion fatigue is a reality we all have to deal with. And then the beast of documentation, having to have <laughs> everything written down, you know, if it, it's not written down, it didn't happen. So that's going to follow an occupational therapist wherever they go. <laughs> those two things. Okay, cool. Thanks. So back when you first got started, what are some things that surprised you? I think the things that surprised me about occupational therapy is how complex a basic activity can be. Mm. Brushing your teeth and all the nuances surrounding something as simple as brushing your teeth. So I'll give you an example. You know, what type of toothbrush do you use? Do you brush your teeth standing up or sitting down? Do you put the toothpaste on your toothbrush and then get it wet? Or do you get your toothbrush wet first and then put your toothpaste on? (laughs) Do you brush your teeth twice, you know, you know, things like that. It's Mm -hmm. this one little activity that is the infrastructure of of routine. That is the infrastructure of self-care can be extremely complex. And same with dressing and bathing. I mean, those are things that we all take for granted. And until you aren't able to do those, you don't realize how complex those tasks are. In Mm -hmm. occupational therapy, we do something called activity analysis, where we break down every activity into finite little pieces, and then we start on step one. So it can be excruciating for someone who's not an OT, because it's like, how can you make something (laughs) so simple, so complex? But someone who's not able to use their hand or their fingers, or they're not able to sit up, or they're not able to swallow, or they're not Mm -hmm. able to cognitively understand a sequence of an activity, the way I engage with that person is going to be very different. So I knew it was complex in school, Josh, and then working in real life, it became even more complex as you tailor that to each individual person. But exciting too, always fun, just just work. Yeah, I can imagine. I had never thought about breaking something down that Mm -hmm. far into its component parts. Obviously, that takes somewhat of an analytical person to be able to do that. What are some other qualities that you think make someone well-suited to be an OT? Creativity, someone who's able to look at something outside of the box, as well as inside the box, because sometimes you, you don't have options of outside the box thinking, but really creative thinking, um, problem solving, occupational therapists usually can look at something very big picture and break it down into logistical aspects very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I think other attributes of an occupational therapist, not everyone has to be an extrovert. There are many introverted clinicians, but at the end of the day, the ability to communicate, to articulate and explain things to individuals in a way that makes sense to them is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And occupational therapists need to be able to respect and care about an individual's lived experience 
that person's lived experience yeah. and have really good active listening skills because we utilize those details of someone's lived experiences to create their treatment plan and create mm-hmm. the activities that we do with them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. So you talked earlier about, you know, an eight hour day really becomes a nine hour day, a 10 hour day, et cetera. What does kind of the, the work-life balance look like when you're working as an occupational therapist? That comes with experience and maturity. <laughs> so depending on the, the setting you work with, you know, many clinicians kind of they can clock in and clock out. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. leave my, my world, my work world at work. And once I leave that building, you know, I'm not going to think about those, those clients, those patients until the next day when I arrive. And as you work in the field, you're able to draw those boundaries a little bit better. Um, But many healthcare professionals, many occupational therapists, they go home and they continue to think about their clients because they're continuing to problem solve. How are we going to do this tomorrow? What items do I need that maybe aren't at the clinic or at the hospital that I need to bring with me so I can really get my patient and my client excited about something. So you don't ever truly turn it off, Josh. I think you just learn to quiet that part so you can pay attention to other things, but you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't love it. And all of the hard work and time it takes, it is such a gift when when your treatment session, your activity, whatever it is, your goal, it happens. You know, you're able to, to get that match of the client realizing, hey, I can do this. And instead of you being the one motivating them to keep trying, to keep moving forward, to, mm-hmm. to try it one more time, it's kind of handing off the baton where the client's now, hey, I can do this. And maybe I can do this. Let's think about this. And it's such a breath of fresh air when as the OT, I'm no longer the motivating factor and the patient themselves becomes intrinsically motivated. So Mm -hmm. any occupational therapist you talk to will, will say that is just that's the goal for your client, for your patient to realize, hey, I I want to do this. And they start living their life. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to what you were talking about before when you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do. I I can really hear it coming through. A lot of the things you're saying really remind me of different teachers I've talked to. And you said you really enjoy that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's when the student finds like, oh, I can do this. I like doing this. I want to do it more. I want to do it better. And the thoughts not turning off when you go home. I see a lot of that shining through. I think of it as like those aha moments mm-hmm. where or self-directed learning, you yeah. know, even adult learning theory, like, okay, I want to do this and reminding myself, why am I doing this hard work? Um, but those aha moments and those moments It might sound cheesy, but I call it what makes you sparkle, Mm -hmm. you know, rediscovering the things that make you sparkle and remembering that those things you like to do, those things you need to do, want to do, enjoy doing, you can still do those. And as you participate in those, you feel more like yourself. And that's important. Yeah, definitely. That's so awesome. So you can probably speak to this really well, but as you're an OT, what does the future look like moving on, moving upwards? You know, what do, what do future job prospects look like? So future job prospects look really good. Um, and, and if you, I think OT right now in the U.S. World and News Report is the 17th 
I believe it's ranked 17th in health profession careers. Okay. And um, so and it, it continues to be high on that list. And it's because OT is so broad. There's so many areas you can work in. But specifically working with older adults, uh, aging in place, keeping older adults in their homes and functioning in their homes, mm-hmm. home health arena, and then obviously early intervention, school-based occupational therapy, um, outpatient occupational therapy therapy clinics that address everything from pediatrics all the way across the lifespan. And occupational therapy continues to grow in what we call our emerging areas of community practice, non-traditional settings that are not medical model, um, but are working with individuals in the community. And those things can often look like maybe somebody's having an issue with a basic activity of daily living or healthcare issue. But sometimes those things are helping individuals navigate resources. How do they apply for Medicaid? Um, Mm. How do they get a license? How do they get a library card? How do they manage a fixed income? Things like that, that there aren't always resources to walk people through how to optimize the resources and their environment that they need. So those community opportunities continue to evolve and grow. So yeah, the, the future looks very bright for occupational therapy. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like there's lots of different things that you can do in lots of different arenas. So it definitely doesn't sound like a job that'll ever get boring. No, (laughs) I don't think so. You could probably get tired, but boring, no. (laughs) Well, that's great to hear. So a question that I know everybody always has when they're thinking about any job is, how much can I make doing this? So that's going to vary on geographic location Mm -hmm. and the clinical setting you work in, as well as if you're working for maybe an academic healthcare institution versus a private practice. But when you Google this information, what right now what it has is that the median salary is about $85,000 and that the best paid occupational therapists are just over $100,000. So there's a lot of gray area in Mm -hmm. in that, but um, it really is going to depend on geographic location and the type of clinical setting that you decide to work in. Uh, School-based occupational therapists will likely not make quite as much as an occupational therapist working for a well-known academic institution uh, in acute care practice. Those incomes are going to be a little bit different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for breaking that down. It seems like wherever you are on that spectrum, you're definitely making a great salary and Mm -hmm. are set up pretty well for the future. Yes. And there's a lot of opportunities for what's called PRN or as needed work, Josh, Mm -hmm. where occupational therapists might have um, two jobs. They might work a part-time job someplace to accommodate the work-life balance of family. And then they might have a PRN job that they pick up extra work on the weekends or in the evenings. And that helps individuals compensate for that work-life balance if they don't want to work full-time. Okay, cool. As we finish up here, If you were to talk to a high schooler or a college student, and it sounds like you do this often, so what are some, you know, next steps or first steps that you would tell them, this is a great direction for you to head? So the first step is always to research what occupational therapy is. And so there's something called the American Occupational Therapy Association, AOTA, that has so many resources for health professionals as well as for stakeholders of occupational therapy, you know, patients, clients who need to know what it is, but also for students interested in the field. So you Mm -hmm. definitely want to look at those resources available to you. Um, You also want to explore 
shadowing or having some observation hours with an occupational therapist. And occupational therapists are really great at supporting those who are interested because anybody who says, hey, I'm interested in OT, an occupational therapist is going to say, woohoo, you know what <laughs> occupational therapy is. So getting time to shadow and observe, usually what I say to high school and college students is don't just shadow in one clinical setting. Because if you go, let's say you go to an acute care hospital and spend a few hours, you don't want to make the mistake of thinking you've seen occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. You've just seen a tiny component of it. So I've always encouraged people to, to volunteer or observe at least in two to three different clinical settings for a more comprehensive look at what an what an occupational therapist does based on the people that they serve. But those are, are the two recommendations. And most states, have, all states actually have a state occupational therapy association. I'm in Florida, so we have the Florida Occupational Therapy Association. So lots of resources there. And most state associations also have regional forums, which means you can narrow down your search and actually talk to people in specific regions of your state. Uh, very easy to get in touch with those individuals. Wow, that's so awesome. That is a lot of great information. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Becky, that's the end of my list of questions. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we close out here? I think what I would like to share about occupational therapy is there's never been a day that I regretted choosing occupational therapy. Occupational therapy chose me, I think, truly. Mm -hmm. But I love it. I, I really love my career. I love the people I work with. Um, I often forget I get a paycheck for the work <laughs> that I do, even though I work hard. Um, I enjoy it. So whether occupational therapy is the profession for you or not, you want to make sure you're seeking something that you find fulfillment and joy in. And I will tell you, for me, that is occupational therapy. There's never been a day I haven't been so thankful and grateful that OT found me. That's so awesome to hear. Becky, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, such a pleasure. And thank you, Josh, for doing this. I wish you were around back when I was an undergrad. <laughs> so thank you so much for investing in so many people. Of course. Have a great one. You too. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or share with some of your friends. We're so thankful for each and every one of you that listens to our show. It's through people like you that we continue to grow and continue to be able to help people. As always, catch you guys later.